And Father, thank you for the, the truth in the words that we've been singing together. Uh, thank you for the hope and the life that's in those words. Um, Father, we've expressed our desire that our faith would be more than anthems. Um, we don't want to be a people who just gather here on a Sunday and get excited and sing songs and then go into our week unchanged. Um, it's our desire that your word uh, would be planted deeply in our hearts, would be a fire that burns in our belly, um, and that shapes the people that we are and the way that we live and the way that we love. Um, and so, Father, we ask again, would you, in these moments now, um, help us not to be distracted, help us not to be asleep, help us not to be dull in our minds and hearts. Um, would you awaken us? Would you invigorate us? Would you speak to us by your word and by your spirit? And would you send us out of here with new faith and new hope and new love uh, to the places where we work and to our neighbours and to our families and all the rest? Um, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Um, teach us and change us, uh, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, let's uh, begin, uh, as we've often begun during this series, with a little video that just reminds us again of kind of what we're thinking about, about our work and our front lines and where we spend our days. So. Evening comes. Lay tasks to rest. Thoughts reflecting on the day. The gifts you give. The people you trust me with. What an honour it is. To work within your plan. You know my name. For the work you give me. Your strength sustains. Yet I am more to you than instrument. I am son, daughter, friend. In my inmost, knit to you. Inseparable. Invaluable. Loved. Celebrated. Heard. Pursued. Grace abounding. Found in you. My work could not win this gift from you. All right. Um, all of the videos that we're showing, just to remind you, are um, are available online, and we we send them out on the Monday email every week. Um, but they're a resource that you can keep using. I think a lot of these videos are helpful. As you finish your work day, you could watch that video just to commit your, your day to God. And there's others that maybe are good for starting the day or starting your week. Um, and so just in case I forget today's giveaway, um, on, your, on your seats you'll get a little postcard um, very much connected with the theme of that video. About It's, it's very easy in the, in the midst of life and the stuff that happens in our, our days to forget who we are. Uh, we get confused about who we are. And so the little postcard for this week is just a reminder of your true identity with lots of words and phrases from Scripture that remind you of who you are as God's son, God's daughter, God's image bearer, uh, as a friend of Jesus, as all the rest. And so again, you can decide you may want to just put that somewhere, uh, put, put it on your desk, pin it on your wall, stick it on your computer screen, uh, put it somewhere where as you're going about your days, when you forget who you are, um, it'll be there just to, to remind you. Um, okay, so that is that. Um, so, um, a few more people have been sending me photographs. Don't forget to send me your photos of your front line, because uh, everybody enjoys seeing these. So, um, what have we got this week? There's Ricky, there's Rick, Ricky Moore on his front line. Um, I'm not going to ask you to give us a commentary on what that is, Ricky, but it's some kind of... Brilliant. Brilliant. It, it, looks, it looks great. It looks wonderful. So th thank you, Ricky. 
we'll not do a live demo. Um, and then, anybody know whose front line this would be? This is Colin McFarland uh, sent me this. Uh, so Colin uh, arranging these amazing uh, flower arrangements. And there's the little postcard that we gave out a few weeks ago uh, in Among the Flowers. Um, so lovely just getting all these little glimpses of when we're here on a Sunday morning, we're together, and often we don't know uh, some of the people around us and we don't know where they are during the week. Um, but we're getting these little glimpses and we can pray for each other as we go to these places uh, for, the, for God's enabling and empowering and, and help and encouragement. Um, so um, every week we're doing just a little interview um, to find out a little bit more about somebody's front line. Uh, so Richard Boyd, uh, this Richard Boyd is going to come up uh, with a couple of Richard Boyds in this church. Uh, so come on up, Boydie, and uh, let me ask you, a few simple questions. So thank you for doing this. Um, so Richard, let me ask you, where will you be uh, this time tomorrow or on a typical day for you? Um, so Monday is probably the song Manic Monday. It normally comes to mind on a Sunday night. Uh, my Monday involves, first thing, is a meeting with the school bursar, uh, which is great on a Monday morning to discuss sort of finances for the like, how sporting finances at school are. Um, then checking buses. There's uh, with the way our new campus is set, we have about 27 buses per week, uh, on average, to book and make sure that they're going to the right place at the right time. Um, sort out rugby fixtures for the week. Uh, we have a big tournament next Saturday, uh, Year Eight tournament, where 24 teams are coming to. So that'll be sorting out all ends and nights of that, um, and then preparing for outside of that video analysis stuff I do for rugby, um, and we bit of prep for Ulster stuff as well. So busy Mondays. Um, so for those who don't know, do you want to just tell us what your job title is? Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, sorry. no it's, it's totally fine. I think mo most people probably know, but tell, tell us what your... Yeah, what sorry, I should have said that at the start. Um, so I'm head of sport at Coring Grammar. Um, I do a bit of video analysis for rugby teams outside of that. I do a bit of work with Ulster um, in the evenings as well. Uh, so so right. many strings. I, sh I should ask people that first, actually. Um, so tell us, can you tell us some of the things you like about life on your front line? Yeah, I suppose uh, I wouldn't be doing PE teaching uh, if I didn't love sport. Uh, anybody that knows me knows I'm a bit of a nut for sport. Uh, love rugby, um, love cricket, uh, basically any sport. Um, but I suppose the things I really enjoy are obviously teaching it, working with uh, kids at school. Um, and I seem to align myself with uh, not just those who are sort of keen to always make the best of themselves, but... Uh, at school, I find myself a lot of the time mentoring some of the more difficult pupils at school. Uh, I think that relationship and rapport you get with being a PE teacher definitely adds to that. And uh, I say, I would say probably one of my things I enjoy most is actually working with those kids who are maybe going through challenging times and maybe seeing them get better and through sports. So trying to get an enjoyment through that. Um, and what about, tell us about some of the pressures or things that are maybe more challenging. Um, well, I suppose there's a lot of teachers in the room here. You know, there's sort of constant pressures of being a teacher nowadays. Um, our school settings may be a bit different as well. We've obviously aligned Corian Enson and Corian High School, so there's pressure bringing those two campuses together uh, over the last sort of four or five years. Um, and I suppose the role of the PE teacher sort of changed as well. It used to be sort of whistle and throw a ball out and uh, sort of live the dream, uh, which I sort of, <laughs> I sort of imagined as I went to university, but then found that A-level and GCSE and uh, other subjects came uh, sort of a big part of the job as well. So um, I think there's just constant pressure trying to uh, manage your time in terms of teaching A-level, GCSE, and then from a supporting point of view, sort of weighing up the extracurricular commitments I have as well. Uh, and what do you think may be God's purpose in having you where he has you there? Uh, I suppose my passion for sport and passion for PE, um, I think of a big opportunity as any teacher does, um, to be a role model, to be a witness in school, to set a good example, uh, to try and get the best out of the people I'm working with, whether that be uh, the under-12 rugby team or the senior cricket team, really just trying to be a good influence and someone that they can hopefully... Uh, look at as a positive influence uh, in their lives. Uh, as I was sort of preparing for this, as JM asked me earlier in the week, I bumped into a guy in Applegreen on Thursday, and this guy would not have been the best rugby player in the world, but a great fella, and he's now 24, which made me feel very old. Um, but he told me, he put me down for a reference for a job uh, about two weeks ago, and he t randomly bumped into me, he told me he got the job, 
And one of the things in the interview was about being a role model. And he said he mentioned my medallion team talk from 2009, where he wasn't even playing in the game, didn't get on. But in the semi-final of a cup, I talked about uh, don't settle. So don't settle for uh, second best. Everything you do, try and keep pushing yourself. And he said he mentioned that in his job interview 11 years later. So it's funny how you could, the small things that you as a teacher can say can have a massive influence on a person at home, which means you also have to be very careful what you do say during the school day <laughs> as well. The problem now is nobody wants to hear my talk. They want to hear your medallion team talk <laughs> instead. So uh, maybe, maybe we'll get you to deliver that sometime. Um, so how could we, as your church family, uh, pray for you on your front line? I suppose it's just, for me, that big pressure of trying to manage my time effectively, uh, open up opportunities to talk to kids, to be a witness, to be a role model, to be a positive role model. Uh, I suppose that's having those opportunities and to try and not burn the candle at both ends as well in terms of my lifestyle. So sort of manage my time effectively, open up opportunities to work and speak to children as well in school and just to be sort of a positive influence at home and in school. Can I pray for you now? Yeah. Go ahead. Um, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for Richard. Um, Thank you for the, the, the love of sport that you've given him. Thank you for the, the gifts you've given him. Uh, thank you for the big heart that you've given him. Uh, that, that's evident even this morning, just especially his heart for maybe some of those young people and kids who are struggling or having a hard time and his desire to pour something encouraging and life-building into them. Uh, Father, pray you would help Richard with the pressures and the frustrations and the niggles of the job. Help him with his time management. Help him... Uh, to use his time well, um, help him to get the balance of work and home life and everything else uh, in a healthy way. Um, but Father, we want to pray that you would use Richard in the lives of uh, the pupils that he works with, uh, that he would be a role model, that he would uh, be an example of good character, uh, that they would see something of the beauty of Jesus in him, in the way that he leads and the way that he teaches and the way that he engages with people. Um, and Father, I pray even this week, uh, you give Richard encouragements uh, that the, the job he's doing uh, is worthwhile and you'd help him to do it wholeheartedly and to do it well. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Brilliant. Um, for any of the people we're interviewing, uh, if you want to know more about their, uh, their life on the front line, go and, go and ask them afterwards and uh, find out a little bit more. And he'll maybe give you a wee mini version of the medallion, the famous medallion pep talk. Um, uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be thinking about, we're, we're thinking about different ways of being fruitful on our front line, um, and we've thought about modeling good character and the importance of that on our, on our front line. Uh, we've thought about making good work, uh, the importance of making good tables or whatever, whatever kind of work uh, we're doing. Uh, and this week, we're going to be thinking about this, uh, ministering love and grace uh, on our front line. Um, I really want to give you, I probably have two, just two verses that are kind of the key verses for what I want to think about this morning. Actually, neither of them uses the word grace, but grace is our big theme uh, this morning. Uh, but they're both verses that I think are very much about what it means to live in the flow of grace. Um, and the first one is this uh, from Matthew chapter 10. Um, Jesus says, freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. Um, the context of that verse in Matthew 10, um, Jesus is sending out the 12 uh, for the first time uh, and he's sending them out to preach, preach the gospel of the kingdom uh, and also to demonstrate the kingdom in action by healing the sick and driving out demons and all the rest. And in that context, as he sends them out to preach good news and to embody good news and to enact good news, he says, this is kind of the the strap line that he writes over there sending. Freely you have received, now freely give. Um, so there's something about that that's like really basic to our, our calling uh, as disciples of Jesus as we're sent into the world. You can kind of write this over our, our sending. Um, freely you have received, freely give. This is how we live. We receive from Jesus and then we pass it on. That's the basic dynamic of the, the Christian life. We receive from Jesus and then we pass it on. Um, and if we ask, um, what do we receive from Jesus? It doesn't say in that verse. 
what do we receive from him? Um, I guess there's lots of different answers we could give, and we, we could talk about receiving forgiveness and receiving kindness and generosity and faithfulness and goodness and all kinds of things. Um, but I think if we were choosing one word, we, we probably could do worse um, than to choose the word grace. Grace kind of embodies and, and captures uh, the things that we receive from Jesus. Um, that's the word we want to kind of focus on uh, very especially this morning. Um, I was thinking about grace. Grace is obviously very closely related to the word love. Um, but grace, I think, carries a couple of kind of extra flavors, um, extra nuances um, that, that kind of distinguish it from love. Um, and maybe one way of expressing that would be to say grace, I think, carries this sense of surprise, right? This sense, uh, it's a, the sense of a love that is not earned or deserved or expected, but which kind of breaks into our lives as this kind of unexpected gift. There's a surprise with grace. There are places in life where you expect to find love, where love is kind of um, what you expect to find, but grace kind of breaks in when you least expect it. Um, And it's given freely, and it's given generously, and it's given joyfully. Those are all kind of part of the the flavor of grace, I think. But I but that, that element of surprise I want us to keep in our minds this morning. You and I are recipients of amazing grace, and now we are to freely give this same grace to others. So we're not to treat others as they deserve. Um, we're not to treat others as they expect. Um, we are to surprise them with grace. Maybe if, if there's kind of one sentence I want you to take into the week, uh, from me, that, it's that one. We are to surprise people with grace. I wonder what that would look like for you and I on our front lines, uh, to be people who surprise people with grace. Um, and I want to explore uh, a little bit this morning, quite practically, what that might look like on our front lines. Um, but before we get into that, um, I want to I emphasize two things as we think about being kind of carriers of grace and agents of grace and um, I'm taking grace to the world. Um, there's two things I want to I want to highlight, and they'll they'll be woven through everything we say as well. Um, but two things: one is this way of living is costly, right? So I want to right at the beginning say um, we we could get very excited, kind of going, yeah, we want to be agents of grace and carriers of grace and surprise people with grace, and that that kind of sounds beautiful and it sounds exciting. And we might think, why wouldn't anybody want to live like that, right? Why, who wouldn't want to live like that? Um, but right at the beginning, I want to say we're not being truthful unless we acknowledge that this is really, really hard. Um, and the reason you and I as Christians know that without thinking too hard um, is that the place where grace is most clearly seen is the cross, right? That's where Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. That's where grace is poured out. Jesus bleeds and dies in agony so we can receive grace, right? Jesus goes to the place of shame and loneliness and darkness and God-forsakenness so we can receive grace. And so right at the beginning, that's worth pausing with for a moment. Let's not say too lightly that we're ready to go and give grace. Um, we may need to take some time to count the cost and say, actually, this is not a light thing. Um, it is a beautiful thing. It's not a light thing or an easy thing or a comfortable thing. Right? It's going to be costly. So that's one thing, and that'll be kind of woven through what we want to think about. Um, but secondly, the second thing I want to say is that this way of living is blessed, Right? Uh, It's a life in which we will experience a depth of joy and freedom which can't be found in any other way, right? There is a blessing that is released, that is found when we live that way, that you won't find in any other way. And this is where the second verse comes in. So the first verse, freely you have received, now freely give. Um, Here's a second one uh, to carry into your week. It is more blessed to give than to receive, right? And that, that can apply to financial giving, 
um, and gift giving and all the rest, but I think it, it applies to every kind of giving and generosity. Um, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I wonder, uh, do you know who said those words? There's, there's a little uh, um, nice little bit of Bible, Bible trivia or whatever. Um, does anybody remember who said that or where it's found? Um, I, I kind of love this. So uh, the, these words were spoken uh, by the apostle. Some, some of you know and don't want to show off. That's okay. Um, they were spoken by the apostle Paul to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. But when Paul says these words, he says, we must remember the words of our Lord Jesus, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I, I find it it's just a nice, interesting little thing that this is clearly a saying of Jesus that the early Christians remembered and preserved and repeated and was really important to them. But for whatever reason, the four gospel writers chose not to include it. They had a lot of good material. Um, do you remember John at the end of his gospel says, Jesus also said and did many other things, uh, and I didn't have room to put them all down here. And this is one of those things, and it pops up in Acts, in Acts 20, uh, when Paul says, we remember Jesus saying this to us. Jesus taught us it's more blessed to give than to receive. I like that little bit of, uh, uh, just, it's interesting. Um, but it, it's, a, it's an amazing promise, isn't it? Um, it's, it's actually, if we're being honest, it's a difficult promise to believe. Um, it's not just saying um, whenever you give, other people will be blessed, which we, we can believe is true, that if we give to others, they will be blessed. But it's saying that in some way, in giving, we ourselves will experience blessing. Um, and so although it's true, as we just said, that it's costly to give and it hurts and it's not easy or comfortable, Jesus is saying when we give, we don't lose. We don't become less. We're not diminished. We are in some way actually enriched. We actually become more when we give rather than less. So if we were able to kind of take a scan of your whole person, uh, somehow your, your mind, body, soul person, uh, before you give and then do a scan afterwards, we'd find that you'd become more even though you gave stuff away, which is kind of paradoxical. Uh, we become more. We're blessed when we give. Do you know why, why I believe that promise to be true? Um, well, firstly, firstly, I believe it because Jesus said it, and we can always trust uh, what Jesus says. Um, but also, I really believe this is true because I've watched people who live this way. And I, I hope you have too. I want to encourage you to think of people you know, people I know who live as channels of grace, who live with a kind of open-handed generosity with their time and their energy and their love and their kindness and their money and their, their possessions and whatever else. Um, I've, I've watched people who live that way and they are the most alive people I know. Right? They are the most free. They are the most beautiful. They are the most human. They, they carry the blessing of God. You don't look at them and think they have been diminished and become less. You look at them and say, there, there's the blessed life. Um, I hope you can bring people to mind um, who, who've shown you that in practice. Um, Jesus said another time, those who hold on to their lives will lose them, but those who give them away for him and his kingdom will find them. We find life in all its fullness as we give, as we give grace, as we give our lives away. And the only way to learn this uh, is by stepping into the flow of receiving grace and giving grace. You can only really learn it in practice as we, learn, as we receive every day from Jesus and as we share uh, that same grace uh, with those around us. So, it's a costly way of living um, and yet there's blessing there that you can't find any other way. Um, so, I want to think uh, for the rest of our time about three ways that I think we can carry grace to our front line. So I want you again very much to bring to mind the places where you spend most of your days, the people that you rub shoulders with in your ordinary days at work or at home or where, in your neighbourhood or wherever you are. Um, and I want to suggest three specific ways that we can carry grace uh, on our front lines. And the first one is this, is that we can give grace to the hurting, uh, to those who are in pain, um, a friend of mine 
uh, our teacher and mentor of mine used to always say, grace is like water. It flows downhill to the, uh, to the place of need. Um, so just like water find, goes down and finds the low place. So grace is drawn to those who are hurting, uh, those who are in pain, those who are, who are struggling. Um, you and I on our front lines can give grace to the hurting. Um, some of you, for some of you, this will be really obvious. So some of you work every day directly with hurting people. Some of you are doctors and counsellors and um, ambulance drivers and social workers and your, your work, people's pain and hurt and struggle is very evident. It's what you're working directly with. Um, but I guess I want to suggest that actually all of us, wherever our front line is, are rubbing shoulders every day with hurting people. Um, there are all kinds of ways in which people might be hurting, and some of, it, some of it is obvious and out in the open and known to everybody, and some of it is very well hidden. Um, there's a family who have started a, a mental health charity in Korean recently, um, uh, and the, the tagline of it says, not all wounds are visible. You've maybe seen the posters around the town. Um, not all wounds are visible. Some people keep them very hidden. So as you and I go about our days, we're coming into contact with people in pain. Um, and it could be physical pain and sickness that people are struggling with. Um, it could be grief and bereavement, um, which can last for a long time. Um, it could be broken relationships, broken marriages, broken families, broken friendships. Um, it could be the pain of depression and anxiety and mental illness, which seems to be epidemic. Um, in our culture at the moment. Um, it could be the pain of financial struggle and financial worry. And again, that can be very obvious or it can be very hidden. Um, it could be the pain of addictions and just destructive habits that someone can't break free from. Um, it could be the pain of loneliness. And again, there's many social observers who would say loneliness is epidemic in our culture. Many people who we may not think of as lonely, but actually are very isolated and alone. So all, all kinds of ways, you know this, all kinds of ways in which people we come into contact with may be hurting. Um, and you and I have the privilege, have the opportunity, uh, have the responsibility uh, to be people who carry grace to those who are hurting. Um, and again, we want to say to show grace to those who are hurting is costly. Right? It, mean, it means showing people compassion and we've always got to remember the word compassion means to, to suffer with, right? So it's a, it's a word with pain in it. Um, it's not a light thing. Um, you think, think of the story of the Good Samaritan uh, that Matt, Matt was talking about last week and everything that it cost the Good Samaritan um, in terms of time and in terms of money and in terms of risk to his own safety. It wasn't a, a cheap thing or a light thing for him to show grace to the, the man at the side of the road, um, Maybe, maybe it helps uh, if you imagine for a second uh, a scenario where you walk into the... Ca- I don't know if you have a cafeteria in your front line or in your workplace, but I want you to imagine you walk into the cafeteria um, and there's a shout, someone shouts your name and over here there's a table of your friends, right? And they look like they're having a great time and they're laughing and sharing stories and being together, right? And they call you, they want you to come join them. And then you look over there and you see a colleague who you know um, is having a really hard time and his marriage has fallen apart and you know he's struggling with depression and you know about some of the other things that are going on and he's sitting by himself, right? You, this, is where, this is where you've got to think about the cost. Which, which one's the fun table, <laughs> right? Which, which one, naturally, humanly speaking, do we want to go to, um, the challenging question for us may be this, is where is the blessing to be found? Right? Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Um, and I, I do want to say, it's always important when we talk about this to say, you and I are limited, right? We, we can't get involved in every situation. There's no point in burning yourself out trying to save the world. You're not going to be able to, to, to respond to every hurt that you come across. You're going to need wisdom from the Holy Spirit to know when to act and, and when to get involved. Um, and yet, you and I have the privilege and the opportunity and the challenge of being grace carriers to people who are hurting. 
Um, and it doesn't have to be a big heroic action. Um, always got to remember Jesus says, even a cup of cold water given to someone who's thirsty, that really counts in his kingdom, right? So it doesn't have to be a big heroic um, thing. A kind word spoken at the right time will have a huge impact. Just sitting with someone for a while in their pain um, will have a huge impact, right? There's simple, small things that you and I can do every day. Um, this is the way of Jesus. Um, this is what you see again and again in the Gospels. Um, so, so often struck when I read the Gospels by how there's a crowd around Jesus, but Jesus just seems to have this radar for the one who's in pain, the, the widow who's lost her son, the blind beggar shouting for mercy at the back of the crowd. Right? He, he's drawn to the one, the woman who's been bleeding all her life and has run out of hope. He notices, right? He stops, he notices, he sees, his heart has moved, he gets involved. Um, that's what Jesus does in the Gospels, and that's what Jesus does for you and I, right? He, he stops, he sees us in our distress, in our pain, in our hurt, and he shows grace. And so the challenge for you and I is freely you have received, now freely give. And as you do, you'll find out that it's more blessed to give than receive. But there's only one way to find that out. We have to step into the flow of grace. And that's going to sometimes be uh, costly. Um, before I move on from this one, um, something I've been kind of really practically challenged about recently, I've been reading, uh, I know a few of you have as well, I've been reading a book by my uh, kind of namesake, John Mark Comer, uh, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, which is a wonderful title in itself uh, for a book. Uh, but one of the things I've been really challenged about from that book is simply that you, you and I can be here on a Sunday morning going, yeah, I want to I wanna be an agent of grace. I want to be a vigilante of love. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do it, right? Um, but we won't do it if we are too busy, right? Uh, we, we might have lots of good intentions, but uh, John Mark Comer has a lovely phrase where he says, we have to slow down to the speed of love. Right? Because if you and I are in a rush and we've somewhere to, we've got to, we're watching, watching our time and we've got to be somewhere and we've, we've, we've no margin in our days, right? we're either not going to see the person in pain because we're just dashing by, or we're going to be like the priest and the Levite in the story, we're gonna, which is even more challenging, isn't it? We're going to see and feel bad maybe for a moment, but we've got to be somewhere. We've got to go and we're just going to keep moving. Right? And so there's a really practical thing here of it's all very well being here this morning going, I want to show compassion to the hurting. But it may be we need to make some decisions about if our life is full of just packed to the margins with busyness and hurry, we're not going to be able to do it in practice. Um, and we may need to slow down to the speed of love. and We may need to get some things cut out of our diary so that we have time not only to see and to notice, but to get off our horse <laughs> and go and get involved. Um, so I, I'm feeling challenged by that. Um, so anytime I feel uncomfortable, I try to make you uncomfortable too. Um, so I'm passing it on. So we can give grace to the hurting. Um, secondly, we can give grace to the little ones. Right? And I'm using that phrase, I guess, just to capture uh, a theme often repeated in, in the Bible, um, that, that we're, we're called especially to show love and grace and kindness to those who are easily overlooked, those who are small in the eyes of the world. Um, and so Jesus says about children, he says, any of you who welcome one of these little ones welcomes me. Um, and Jesus also said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. So this theme of the, the ordinary, the humble, the small, the little, the easily overlooked, um, let me, let me ask you the question. Who, who are the little ones in your front line? Um, the, ones, the ones that are easily overlooked. Um, and I want you to genuinely think about that. Um, it could be a child uh, who's easy to overlook because they're smaller and uh, we, just, we don't see them. It could be an older person who we don't notice or see or overlook. Um, it could be if you're in a classroom situation, it could be the child who seems 
a little less talented or a little more quiet or just a little more ordinary. He doesn't stand out in any particular way. They may be the little one. Um, it could be the person in your workplace who does a humble job, um, who works on the till, who stacks the shelves, who sweeps the floor, who works in security, who cleans the office. The people who we depend on every day uh, to keep the wheels of society going, but sometimes we can go through our day and not see them, uh, maybe not know their names. Um, it's very easy to overlook. Um, it could be the foreigner or the outsider or the newcomer. Um, it could be someone in your front line who's just a bit strange uh, or a bit of a loner or actually just a bit boring, right? So we don't really see them. They kind of blend in with the wallpaper and we don't, we don't notice them. Um, what does it mean for you and I to show grace to the little ones? Um, I want to suggest that it doesn't, it doesn't mean showing condescending charity to them, right? Where we, from, our, from above, kind of condescend to show, give them a, a few moments of our attention. Um, I think it means to treat them with honour. I think that's the heart of it. To welcome them as we would welcome Jesus, right? Because he said, when you do it to the least of these, when you do it to the little one, you do it to me. So how would I welcome Jesus? How would I speak to Jesus in this encounter? And I'm going to speak to them in, the, in that way. Um, and again, I, I see this all through the Gospels. Um, Jesus does not kowtow to the important and the rich and the famous and treat others uh, with contempt or uh, dismissal. Um, you get the sense with Jesus that he counts it a tremendous honour to sit and eat with the tax collectors and the sinners, uh, to go to someone's home for dinner, whoever they are. He'll go, to, he'll go to the home of Simon the Pharisee, but he'll also go to the home of Zacchaeus, the disreputable little uh, cheat and swindle, swindler. Uh, and he'll go to the home of whoever. He, he treats people with honour. Um, he loves to be in their company. Um, he shows them that honour in the way that he interacts. And again, you and I need to be honest and say there's cost involved in giving your time and attention to the little ones, right? Because in the world in which you and I live, being with the important people in your front line will get you noticed. It might, it might get you a promotion quicker if you make sure you spend your time with the key people, the movers and shakers, the, the influential people. Um, if we're being really honest, being with the popular people, the in crowd, feels really good, right? It feels nice to be part of that inner circle. And there's no obvious payback for being with the little ones, you go and spend a little time with that colleague who you find just really dull. There's, there's no obvious immediate payback for that, right? And we, so we've got to be honest about that. There's cost. But again, we want to say, if, if what Jesus says is true, then there's blessing to be found there that you actually won't find if you stay with the important people, right? You're going to encounter the presence of Jesus when you're with the little ones. I think that's what those promises amount to. We're going we're gonna to encounter the, the presence of Jesus in a deeper and more profound way when we go to the little ones. Um, and so I want to encourage you to think about what that might mean for you. Um, one of the strangest commands uh, Jesus ever gave, or like one, one that I think we don't talk about enough because it's, it's a direct command, but we seem to ignore it most of the time, uh, is in Luke 14, where Jesus says, when you invite people for dinner... <laughs> Um, don't just invite your friends and rich neighbours who will invite you in return. Right? Do you know Jesus has an interest in your social life? Right? Don't just invite the people who will invite you in return. I, I think what's going on there is you don't get to practice grace then because that's not grace. That's just social transaction. You invite them, they invite you. Um, that's, that's how it goes. That's not grace. But Jesus says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. What's he saying there? He's saying, invite the ones who are normally overlooked, who don't get invited. Um, invite the ones who don't expect to be invited by you. Right? There's the surprise of grace, right? The ones who are not expecting an invitation from you. Invite the ones who can't return the favor. And do you know what he says in that story? Again, he says, 
and you will be blessed. Right? There's a bit of a theme here with Jesus. Um, you're going to experience blessing there. You're not going to find it anywhere else. Um, so, grace for the little ones. Um, here's maybe the hardest one of all to finish on. Um, as we think about our front lines, we're to give grace to our enemies. Um, I think this is where we come to the, the beautiful heart of grace. And if we're being honest, the hardest thing of all. Um, it's, it's the heart of grace, I think, because here we come to the heart of the gospel. Uh, because the gospel says that while we were God's enemies, shaking our fists in his face, he went to the cross for us, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right? Jesus pours out grace on his enemies, and he asks us to do the same. And again, it's, this is straightforward command from Jesus, isn't it? He says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who want to harm you. Right? This is what Jesus asks of you and I. And so I need to ask you the uncomfortable question as you think about your front line. Um, who is your enemy on your front line? Um, I'm really aware, um, some of us will find that really easy to answer. You have a specific person who came immediately to mind, right? who is the bane of your life and who makes your life difficult every day. Um, for some of you, it may take a little bit of reflection. Um, the person who makes your life difficult, the person who for some reason that you don't understand has decided they don't like you and you don't know why, um, the, person, the person maybe in your front line that you find it hardest to like or to love, that they just get under your skin and you're not sure why, or maybe you do know why, um, the person maybe who's hostile to your faith and gives you a hard time for your faith, on your front line. Could be any of those kind of scenarios, but you may need to think about who it is for you. Um, and let me say something really important. Every now and again, we've got to qualify something we're saying. And I do want to say this really clearly. Um, if someone in your workplace environment is being abusive and being a bully and making your workplace environment toxic, um, you may need to take some steps to remove yourself from harm. Right. So I don't want you going home saying... The preacher told me I just have to stay there and take it all the time. You may need to remove yourself from harm. That may be wise and the right thing to do. You may even in some cases need to make someone higher up aware so the behavior can be challenged if someone is being abusive and bullying, right? So that's really important, right? Having said that, um, here are some of the things that we're not permitted to do, right? And this is where we get frustrated, right? As followers of Jesus, we can't say... They're making my life a misery, so I'm going to make their life a misery. Right? It's not, that's not allowed for us. Um, we can't say they have a whispering, gossiping campaign against me, so I'm going to have a whispering, gossiping campaign against them. Right? We can't say they've been dishonest uh, and unfair in the way they've treated me, so I'm going to be a little bit dishonest and unfair towards them. Right? They're going to get what they deserve. Um, here's where it gets really annoying. <laughs> We're not even allowed to enjoy in the quiet of our own minds nursing a lovely, big, fat, juicy thought of imagining them getting their comeuppance or being exposed before the world as what they are and just enjoying the delicious taste of that, right? Jesus doesn't allow even that. He says when we do that, we've committed murder in our heart, right? Um, this is really difficult. Grace, grace, in fact, goes even further than that. It's not just that we're to withhold those negative things, but actually that we're to give positive kindness and blessing to the person who wants to hurt us, right? And so this is where we have to be really honest and say, this is really, really hard. Um, in fact, I think, humanly speaking, this is impossible, right? And yet I also want to say it's essential, <laughs> If the world is going to see the beauty of the gospel, this is where they're going to see it. Um, it's a gospel miracle every time it happens. It's how the world will know that the gospel is true when they see this happen in the lives of the followers of Jesus. Um, and there's a blessing to be found there whenever we show grace to our enemies that can't be found anywhere else. It's really, really hard and costly 
and we have to wrestle deeply with this. Um, but there's a blessing to be found there that can't be found um, any other way. Um, I think for me, um, my, probably for me, the most powerful example I've ever come across of this that I, I think about often and I know I've shared a few years ago, but I haven't shared it for a while, so I'll share it again. Um, October the 2nd, 2006, a man called Charles Carl Roberts uh, entered a one-room schoolhouse in the heart of Amish country in Pennsylvania. And he took 10 little girls, aged 6 to 13, hostage. And as the police closed, closed in, he shot all 10 girls, killing five, before taking his own life. I don't know if you even remember, there's so many of these things happen. Uh, in our world, sometimes we don't remember specific ones. But what happened in that case was the media, as, as happens, descended on this quiet Amish community. Um, and started to watch what was going on and ask questions and so on. And they found what they expected to find, which was they, they expected that in this traditional, quiet country place, the Amish would be really good at caring for each other. right? And they ministered to each other in their grief. But the thing that the media didn't expect to find was that Amish community choosing to show kindness to the family of the killer. And so TV cameras um, were there to witness Amish women bringing food to the doorstep of the widow of the man who'd killed their children and to the doorstep of the mother of the, the man who'd killed their children. And whenever the funeral of the killer happened, um, more than 30 of the Amish turned up at the funeral. And the, the family said afterwards they felt like the Amish actually created a shield around them so the media couldn't intrude on their grief, right? And when people asked the Amish, as they do in a case like that, why are you doing, why are you responding in this strange way? They simply said, because Jesus told us to, right? And so one commentator talking about it said, the media came to report on evil, and they ended up talking about the church, right? They ended up talking about Jesus, right? Because they said, this is impossible, this is such, this is the surprise of grace breaking into our world. Um, and so that's a big extreme example. Um, and I find it challenging, right? If it, if it can happen, that miracle, even in an extreme case like that, what would it look like for you and I with that person we find irritating, with that person who has wronged us in some way or hurt us in some way? What does it mean to show grace to our enemies? And I want to encourage you to think about that as you go into your week. Um, one last thing to say. Um, maybe just a, a note to finish on. Um, I, I noticed the other day, um, I was in uh, a prayer meeting uh, here in church, and uh, one of the things I was just noticing was uh, a number of people, just as we prayed, um, expressing something along the lines of a sense that the world is getting darker, and it's something I've noticed even in conversation as well, just people, it seems like something in different ways that different people feel a sense of uh, particular darkness in our world at the minute, and people might highlight different things, but that sense of gathering threat, like, like there's a threat out there that's encroaching, there's a, a shadow uh, that's there. Um, and just think, thinking about that and thinking about this theme this week, uh, I was just really challenged again that whenever we feel threatened, and afraid, um, that's when it's really tempting in our fear to take up the weapons of the world to fight, right? And to fight against hate with hate and to fight against contempt with contempt and against sarcasm with sarcasm and against kind of angry Facebook rants with angry Facebook rants and fight against court cases with court cases and dishonest fear-mongering with dishonest fear-mongering and that's really tempting, to respond in those ways. Um, and I think I just felt the challenge again this week that especially at times when we feel like the, there's enemies out there or we feel like there's threat encroaching, uh, that's when we as the church need to not lose our nerve, right? We fight with gospel weapons of faith and hope and love, right? We fight with uh, the weapons of the gospel, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
and the love of God and the friendship of the Holy Spirit, right? And, and really aware that as we do that, it can feel foolish and it can even look foolish, right, to go into a war zone armed with casseroles, right? That, that looks really daft um, with cups of water and prayers of blessing and gospel songs, right? They don't seem like enough with all that's going on in our world. Um, but I want to encourage us, brothers and sisters, Church of God, uh, we need to hold our nerve. Um, this is the way of Jesus. This is the grace that overcomes the world. Right? And we sang at the beginning, but uh, maybe about a time of desperation and a time of darkness. What do we do in the midst of that? We sing again, I believe in God the Father. I believe in the crucifixion. I believe in the resurrection. And we not only believe that, but we then go and live it in the midst of the world. Uh, we give grace to the hurting. We give grace to the little ones. We give grace especially to our enemies. Um, and the world will see the beauty of the gospel and the miracle of the gospel um, in our lives. Let, let's pray as we finish. Um, uh, let me encourage you, uh, if you'd like someone to pray with you uh, about anything going on in your life or maybe... Uh, as you go into your week, if you want someone to pray with you about what lies ahead of you, there'll be a couple of people up here who would love to, to pray with you before you go. Um, Father, we, we ask for your help because uh, we, we're really aware that we can't live this way by ourselves. Uh, that left ourselves, we just uh, end up returning whatever we receive from the world and the unkindness of the world gets into us and the, uh, the hatred of the world gets into us and the mean, mean-spiritedness of the world gets into us and the dog-eat-dog, uh, everyone gets what they deserve, attitudes get into, into us. Um, and so we want to come to you again and say, would you pour into us again your amazing grace would you surprise us again um, with that unexpected uh, breaking into our lives of your undeserved, unearned favour and love and kindness? Um, Father, help us every day to come to you with open hands and receive again fresh mercy for today, fresh grace for today. And then help us to share the overflow with those around us. Help us especially to look for the hurting. Help us especially to look for the little ones who are often overlooked. Help us especially to show kindness to our enemies. And let the beauty of the cross and the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of the gospel be seen in our lives. This is really hard, but we believe this is the blessed life that we're called to. Would you help us to live it this week uh, in your strength? And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, let's